and we are live. Welcome back to the Community Agriculture Project podcast. If you're new here, the Community Agriculture Project is an accessible and interactive resource directory to connect people with our local agriculture related resources. We document and provide insight into local agriculture landscapes and sovereignty based projects. So I'm sitting here in Jefferson, New York with the very special people of the Groovy Veggie Farm. Now, when I met them, they were not yet the Groovy Veggie Farm. They were a part of, you know, another operation. And you may recognize them if you were an early listener to our interviews as Christine and Adam. So today's episode is going to serve as a little bit of an update of where Christine and Adam are at in their journey what's been going on with the Groovy Veggie Farm, where they've come from and where they've been and where they are now, and what they're up to, really. So, we're going to get into it. I'm going to start with you, Adam. I want you to just, yeah, like, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. If they haven't heard of you before, introduce yourself and what you do, what you're passionate about, and then... Yeah, we'll go from there. Cool. Um, I am a adventurette spirit and a steward of this land, as well as a connector and teacher for all people. To be able to bridge the gap between the earth and what um, we seem to be doing on this planet at the very moment. Um, and here we are, farming away. Um, in, in Jefferson, New York. Okay, Christine. Mm-hmm. A little uh, bit of an introduction. Update the people on what's going on with you. Sure. Um, and what you do. What, what you're passionate about. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for having me first. I'm really excited to be here and connect with you again. Um, <clears throat> so this year I am basically Groovy HQ. That's kind of my role switch up this year we um we started our farm in washington in the metho valley over there and it was just adam and i and then now we moved over to jefferson new york and i'm shifting my focus a little bit out of the field and more into learning how to really run a business the back end of things and the logistics and making connections to local organizations and markets and how I can get more involved into the community and get our food um, into the hands of more people. So that is more of my role this year. And aside from that, some things that I'm really passionate about, um, I've been thinking a lot about food access. That is something that I want to dive into as well as herbal medicine. Um, That's been a practice of mine for a few years and it's just an evolving relationship that um yeah it deepens every year so that's two of my big focuses and uh yeah and so can you guys just tell everybody like groovy veggie farm what was the inspiration behind the start of that and like what is the mission of groovy veggie farm what is the foundation of groovy veggie farm it doesn't have to be earth-shattering. Like, sometimes things just are. But, like, yeah. When you form 
so many connections and opinions about what you're doing. You know, you gain experience through working, and through working, you gain all these opinions and how you'd like to see things done. And sometimes, when you have such like a, a like a mind that runs off with all these with ideas, you want to put them all together, and it's hard to fully allow yourself to feel free and working underneath someone's um, someone else's dream when your dream seems almost more important and bigger. Which it is because it's your individual mission. So everybody's, your, everyone's individual dream is the most important thing in their life. Um, so we wanted to show that you can be young, you can be sentient, you can farm, you can do anything you want. And um, something we're really working towards is quality of life. Trying to show people we can have a farm, you can feed the community, you can be bound and rooted in your land. And at the same time, go on a month long trip to another place in the country or take all these adventures to other farms and connect with all these other communities and learn and do other things aside from just farming but to yeah yeah because i met y'all we met out in oregon at ranchado organics which is a lovely farm um they're they're pretty badass there they do a lot of incredible things mm -hmm. and yeah, like the program that you guys were in when I met y'all was Rogue Farm Corps, mm -hmm. which is like specifically trying to get younger people into farming. And, you know, they, they, from what I know about the program, they give you a certain impression of like farming. They kind of show you the ropes mm -hmm. on a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of in this program, but then afterwards... It's kind of up to you. Right. Totally. Right? Yeah. So this is like the next part of your story. Like, not to say that your story started in Oregon. You have such, you know, such a vast story before that. But then you went from Oregon up to Washington and met mm -hmm. how. Mm -hmm. And continued there. Right. So, I guess, can you each tell me one really, really significant thing that you learned in Oregon and kept with you and then one thing that you learned and kept with you in Washington mm. and and kind of how that's coming into fruition here now that you're in New York which is both of your home states right. by the way right um so it's kind of like a full circle thing so I want to tie in like some of those lessons and some of those like through lines What's your perspective, Adam? Heavens, yeah. Well, something that I've learned is like we all want to grab onto some sort of schedule, some sort of train, right? You want to like you want to know what you're doing. It only it makes sense. And in farming, there's it. It can be so incredibly overwhelming. You know, it could be like a video game where you have like a thousand different characters to choose from, or it could be like the stock markets where like there's a thousand different stocks to choose and we want to like know what one to do and what's best and what what's the best practice what's the most we can do how can we get the best veggies the best money all of it and what i've learned is like we've created these dogmas and these these structures and walls around the freedom and creativity the ebb and the flow of the nature of all of these professions no matter how tied into business how tied into non-profit or not making money or whatever you know nomading 
But like, what I've learned is that when anyone tells me something about, like a fact about the land, about like what I can and can't do with the soil or with plants, it it's it's a lie. Like you can, you know, you can do it. And I feel like a lot of those older farmers that have told me things, like I've, I've defied a lot of those rules that they say will create plant disease, that they say will reduce your yields that you know and I'm not saying that to be like stubborn and say I told you so like I or I can do it I can prove you wrong but but like every land is so different and so unique that like you, you know it's like you can't measure the microbiology is so expansive if every grain of soil is different has a different composition than everybody's land every inch of every every bed of mine is different and, and so like how can how can someone define and make a fact about how close I can plant something or when I can plant something or how much it's going to give me or how hungry it is you know because I think no plants actually like there's few plants that are actually really take from the soil I think most of them exchange so we're here like experimenting trying to figure out what extra like figuring out what boundaries we can push on this land so i don't soil test um because i want to i want to see like the plants are growing fine so why why is there anything uh, there's nothing wrong you know we're taught we have to analyze everything how can i deter how can i add a specific amount of of these microbes and nutrients and like know that they're gonna stay you know who's to say that like sloshing compost tea aggressively isn't gonna do something although you know it's like We've been proven wrong by nature day in and day out. So we just got to keep working with our environment. And that's why I think as a farmer, it's really important to try and get rooted in your land. So you can really observe how it reacts each time. That's kind of really exciting thing about here. It's really experiment and see. See exactly. <laughs> this is, yeah. Yeah, we're upgrading here. You know, I have the luxury of layering. You don't have as much material to layer. So you really do focus on <clears throat> trying to like inoculate things and add micro to create like host environments. And out here, <laughs> like this, just being here is the host environment. You know, the water, like what's really interesting is people are in all over those droughts along the whole country, around the whole country. And, you know, a drought in each place just means a lack of the normal amount of water. So New York, although there's, like, considered to be a drought, that's still 40 more inches than the desert's getting out in eastern Washington or in central Oregon. So our soil has to be able to handle that better. You know, it has to be able to handle a dry year better because it's just been it just has more um i think one of the coolest takeaways i had from oregon is just having the experience of a full diet organic farm and that you and so full diet organic means you grow and raise everything the human body needs all year long so um essentially this farm could be cut off from the rest of the world and you would be fine you'd be healthy you'd be eating you'd be good. Um, vegetables, meat, 
grain, dairy, mill our own flour, you know, make our own products, canned goods, things like that. So just through the program in general, we got exposed to a lot of different areas in farming and seeing that you really can grow and raise and provide and barter for everything that you need to eat was extremely inspiring and it just opened up a whole world of opportunities in my mind. Um, and what was cool about that is that after you're exposed to everything, you can distill it down to what you really want and what you really want to focus on and what inspires you the most and what just like makes you wake up in the morning. Um, so that was really awesome about Oregon. And then in Washington, um, I have never felt such a deep sense of community support before where it's this little secluded valley up in the mountains and it's kind of like happy valley up there like it's 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 gorgeous it's beautiful and um it's a really special place and the community just has a really strong focus on supporting local people supporting young farmers supporting artists supporting makers things like that and so i just think we got an overwhelming amount of support just year one and year one i felt like we were wildly successful and we couldn't have done that without that support of people just taking the new guys in and week after week buying from us and supporting us and joining our CSA and telling people. And um, so community involvement, community support and being involved and having a reciprocal relationship with your community, I think um, was the most important takeaway for me in Washington. And now that you're here, mm -hmm. you take both of those things with you. Right. And that is contributing to your dream of seeing, like, I mean, comparatively, <clears throat> Oregon and Washington, especially the region that y'all were at, was much less densely populated than mm -hmm. the region that we're in now. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, with a lot of major cities close to here and everything, like, I can see how food access could become something that's even more on the forefront right even though of course like there's food access and resource access for all the people that live out in the desert mm -hmm. and you know like the indigenous people that are out on reservations and mm -hmm. otherwise and food access is always an issue but yeah like how are those how have those things tied into what you're really pushing for now And it could be something, it might be something that's still in the works. Like, right. I know that, that that's a part of it. But. Totally. Yeah, so um, kind of bringing those lessons here. So having the full diet experience, that's definitely a vision that we want for our farm someday. And that's something that we're building towards. Um, and when it comes to community, that's something that I'm trying to build here as well. And... Um, hmm. Let me let me let me reverse a little bit. <laughs> Cause it it takes it takes right. a little bit of time to tap in with your community in a new place. Right. Totally. Like y'all, what month is it? It is August right now. It's August. Yeah. And you guys got to Jefferson at the end of and, May. Uh, been end there for two May. months. Yeah, that's quite a short amount of time. And right. Like, just in the year that you were farming in Mahal, like mm -hmm. to have that much success. I was really observing it from a distance, just seeing like, okay, you're creating quite an abundance, mm -hmm. you know, with 
not only the quantity but the quality of the products that you're producing mm -hmm. you know like right. i know because of the time that i spent at rain shadow like the standards were super high mm -hmm. what was created was like pretty awesome mm -hmm. and that was like instilled in y'all i mm -hmm. feel like so yeah. you brought that to your next spot right for sure and so yeah and i would say that like even in this sh very short amount of time that you've been here it seems like a lot has happened which i feel like we're gonna talk more with adam about as far as the goats and everything but also there's something to be said as far as community goes where it's like going back to that full circle idea of like you're back in new york like mm. part of your community is people that have been in your life right before. yeah right so can you speak a little bit on that yeah definitely that is um that was one of the main driving forces back to new york actually is like this is where our roots are. This is where we have a lot of friends and connection and family and just people we love. And um, I just have a lot of love for New York in general and I would love to make an impact on communities here. And I see, I definitely see a need for um, just better food access, better food quality, just getting better food to the people because I think that there's like a consciousness uh, a food consciousness that exists west of the Mississippi that doesn't necessarily exist out here. And it's building, but I feel like we're still catching up to it. There's still a lot of work to do, and you can find pockets of it, but I would just love to be um, one of the farms kind of leading the charge on that someday, hopefully. And um, yeah, it's really special. It feels good to be back. It's, it's kind of surreal. So yeah. Yeah, so you guys were talking about that a little bit yesterday, just like in one of your experience with the goats and the goat feed mm -hmm. and like how that was able to tell you a little bit about the community that you're in and like the access of resources around here because it's like something that's in your guys' nature. What I observe is like, yeah, you're, you're community oriented and resourceful. So you're going to be like looking out around you for these things that you can incorporate mm -hmm. to kind of alchemize into your farm and into your offerings. Mm -hmm. So, you know, part of getting to know your community is also getting acquainted here in the new spot with the goats. So, like, do either of you want to speak on that? Yeah. Well, something aside from community is establishing your own land and your own space before you can welcome the community. Mm-hmm. So like the goats and the, the farm isn't what's bringing in necessarily people, but it's it's like our individual outreach to other places. And what's interesting about this area is that the farms are kind of more spread out and they're not as um, youthful and they don't quite grow the same things that we grow. Everybody's quite, you know, very, very different area. And as a farmer trying to create my land to host people and to feed people um i haven't been able to take a moment to leave you know to really even to do much other than a few events or a few you know the markets where you're meeting people um but something interesting with the goats and the mentality around locality is so the the current situation of this area is that people believe more in local than how it's grown so as long as it's grown nearby that's all that matters. But what we learn is a lot of the things grown nearby aren't very um, 
good for us. You know, they're sprayed or they're GMO crops and they uh, have proven many bad things. But uh, besides all that, people don't really quite grasp the fact of organic also because the generation is older here. And so they kind of believe that if you just don't spray no pesticides, that's all that matters, which is a very, very strong point. You know, it, it, as long as there are no pesticides or sprays or chemicals in the ground that they're putting down, um, that's like a huge step forward. But what we need to now get the local community and audience to grasp is that cleanliness of food. And this is also a very sparse area. There's not many resources. Like the stores don't have what you need. Almost nobody does. So we have to ship a lot of our things in. Um, goat grain or yeah, goat dairy pellets are, um, they come off a of chewy, but they're organic. And the shipping, you know, as one small business, I don't find that to be quite a footprint um, as compared to all the, you know, carbon footprint of the larger industries and what goes into all the corn and soy that is produced to feed these livestock because what's around here is corn and soy. And, and so I guess I want to use this as a transition point to tell the listeners like a little bit about the goats and the sheep that are here, what your vision is with them and why it matters what they're fed. Yeah. Um, so I guess the best way to describe it is to tell you the story of our goat Snowflake. Um, so when we got Snowflake, we got her, she's a little mancha dairy goat. Um, she's white, she's beautiful. And she gives us about, when we got her, she gave us a quart of milk a day um, and she didn't have much of a coat. It was all just like white and, um, you know, no, no hair in front of her horns. And she was fed a diet of saltines and cracked corn. Um, and her baby calf was still, her kid was still drinking milk six months, um, six months in, which usually they're weaned off after two and a half, three months. So there was some mismanagement of practice, but, um, we really wanted to get going on a dairy goat, so we picked her up. You know, she was still healthy. Her, you know, she checked out. So we brought her back, and on the way back, we gave her some of what she used to eat. Like, we tried feeding her the saltines that the other farm gave her and cracked corn, and she didn't touch a single bit of it. She just went right for the, the, the hay. And then we, um, since they're sensitive animals, their digestive systems are sensitive, you need to introduce new food slowly. So we started to add the, the brush, the trees, the grass. We started adding a little more um, fibrous matter, like some ferns, some dead plant matter. And all of a sudden you start noticing like her coat's coming back a little bit. She's That's like, literally such an abundance compared to cracked corn and saltines. Like right. all of that variety of food... Compared to a saltine? A like, saltine. That's yeah. crazy. And you know where she came from, she was in a pen where all the goats were stepping in mud because there's so many that, um, you know, the ground can't regenerate and they're not on a pasture. So we have Snowflake free-ranging. And what I mean by free-ranging, I, I don't mean she's in a fence. I mean she's literally, I let her out and she goes out and does her thing for the whole day. And can you describe like the area that the animals like go about you know what yeah. I mean like that they that they graze on yeah so um like what right type of plants my... are there like what what is the the land used for 
yes, the land is, just, I mean, it's just what it's used for. It's just been kind of taken over by the forest. So it's mostly forest, you know, lots of trees and low hanging branches. We have a lot of, um, and as far as the pasture goes of the clear spaces, we have a lot of clover, vetch, yarrow, multiple different types of grasses. Um, that's all that I'm really able to discern off my, you know, lots of flowers. Um, I'm sure Already I'm having pasture and forest is like, that's two totally different climates and yeah. environments and ecosystems for them to be able to graze in. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about a pasture that hasn't been touched in a long time is, yes, it's rested, but it hasn't been excited to grow like larger and more voracious. So mm -hmm. when you introduce the animals, you're fertilizing that land. So mm -hmm. it might be nice like and diverse and, and grassy, but once they eat it down and then they poop and pee and eat the minerals and um, you know, just do their sheet things, shed even their wool, which helps bring mycorrhizae connections to the soil. Um, they, they're ingesting so much better in, uh, you know, diverse diversity in the pasture. And after a bit, all that fertility brings back a stronger pasture more. So then in the next years, you can maybe assume that you can add another animal to the mix. Mm. Um, more importantly, it's truly it, regenerative. it creates the, it creates like the quality in which you're ingesting, right? Like what, what do you want to put in your body? So when I drink the milk from snowflake, I'm drinking the milk from the birch and the beech and the, the maples and the grasses, right? I'm not drinking milk from, from like hay that's been cultivated. You know, it's, it's, it's wild. It's inoculated with the wild microbes. So, you know, over time she went from that one quarter milk to a half, a, almost, she's giving us three quarters of a gallon a day. And that was over how many weeks? Over course of four to six weeks. Wow. And we switched her, um, pellet regiment to be organic and we reduced it in quantity and she's oh my god she's so happy <laughs> she follows us around kind of like a dog <laughs> she mows my fields she's happy and her milk tastes so good it's the best milk that i've ever tasted i think in my life Thank from you. an animal <laughs> really yeah she's it's the best milk i think i've tasted too yeah and it's like when no. you're when you're ingesting products from these animals it's like what do you want to be ingesting like cracked corn and saltines or do you want like wild forage organic forage organic hay like really good quality pellets and even the pellets that we get um are very diverse like if you want to go into the ingredients of some of them like even just including like you know uh pea and alfalfa and just just a diverse amount of ingredients that... and there's even some kelp in there yeah nice right um so yeah, food is everything. It goes it goes through the animals and, and straight into our bodies. So um. And that, that affects our moods and the animals' moods. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of people traditionally put their animals in a stanchion to milk them. Um, and we've learned over the years that milking actually isn't supposed to be such like a rigid um, experience, but more like a calm, pleasurable experience. Mm -hmm. So over the past few weeks, we train her to field milk. So I just go up to her, I give her some some of those pellets, I give her some fresh branches, and then, you know, I give her love and, and I pet her and I tell her and I dank her and I, I milk her right there. She needs no no halter, no anything, no restraint. She just, she lets me. 
And so we're gonna keep working with that, expanding our herd, producing more yogurt, producing specialty goat ice cream, um, <laughs> some goat cheeses. And soap. And soap, goat <laughs> soaps. Soap. Can't forget the goat soap. <laughs> And then over time, like where they are now, we're gonna move the past, like their permanent little home down and then cultivate that area as a garden. So we're gonna keep rotating them throughout um, the years while the sheep are rotating every two days on electric fence. So it sounds like you have a lot of different layers of rotation in your whole operation. That's one thing that I wanna talk about and also just it sounds like you're really cultivating like not yourselves as farmers that are you know running the ship necessarily but like you are really part of this system and like you're honoring that you're part of the system you know like your mood and the mood of the animals and and the abundance that comes out of the garden like all these things are related and it, it, it needs that uh reciprocity right. I guess to right. be able to function in that way right um but yeah I really appreciate that about what you guys do and also like yeah can you just speak a little bit about the different like timelines I guess that you think about as a farmer and the different rotations that go into that like for example when we were out in the garden this morning harvesting the most delicious and the most beautiful beans and what's the type of bean called again the provider bush bean the provider bush bean and it does provide <laughs> it indeed provides the flowers are delicious the beans are delicious but you're talking about like for example like you had planted other things around that that you're going to rotate out like you mentioned that oh you had this soy kind of like to attract a certain pest and you have like these other you know leguminous plants that are going to be putting nitrogen in the soil and so you have rotation that's just like on that level and then you're thinking about like years and like the long term on this land and so if you could speak on that a little bit and also any of the other rotations that I might be missing out on that are relevant yeah um so a few different types of rotations that we do on the farm so we do we do crop rotation by bed um so every time we harvest a bed completely we'll put a different crop into there um and we also do intercropping so we'll do certain partner plants that help benefit each other as well as the soil um so that's one type of rotation we do we also rotate our garden with um, cover crops so a certain section will be in for this season and then we will rest it and put in a cover crop and it'll rest the next season um, and then another rotation we do is our day uh, a few days a week a couple days a week we rotate our sheep to a different part of the pasture to mow down and do their do their thing and then we rotate the goats every year and move their enclosure to another section and their old one becomes the new section of the garden. Um, so those are just like some of the main rotations that we do on the farm. We're going to be incorporating chickens mm -hmm. amongst the sheep mm -hmm. and the goats as well mm -hmm. because um, chickens will eat all the parasites and all the insects that can cause disease within the sheep or even within your soil. Um, we're gonna use all the animals to rotate to like kind of change landscape, like terracing the hill to create a wind block or another pollinator patch. 
Mm. Um, some rotations that we consider is, you know, what's interesting about rotation too is we do rotate because to change the biology to keep the nutrients, changing nutrients that flow into the soil to change what's giving and taking. But when you add microbes, you amend with compost and carbon matter. So we like to try and layer our beds a little bit with what we have and when we can. Um, it, it buys you a little bit of leeway with replanting of the same um, species. So you can replant Nebraska in a row. The second time in a row, assume that you're going to be feeding it some sort of microbe like LAB, or, which is a lactobacillus, which will help like fight fungi. Um, you know, helping um, compete with disease out here because we're in a wetter environment. Mm-hmm. That's definitely... Yeah, that definitely sounds like it's been a, a factor just adjusting some of your practices to being in a completely different environment. Mm-hmm. And, th- I mean, it sounds like you're adjusting pretty quick, honestly. <laughs> um, and when you were talking about that, it made me think about the huigo culture. Yeah. So, <laughs> can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I know that that's something that you and Derek work together on, and I've talked to some other farmers um, about, you know, this approach too. So I guess just talking about how, first of all, giving the listeners a little bit of like, what is Huigo culture, um, short definition, and then how are you creating a hyper-local approach to it here? Yeah. Um, I think we're actually really blessed to be able to do it here. Uh, so culture, in short, is... You can imagine in nature when trees fall and they break down and the soil keeps packing on top over the time. Like those those buried roots, those buried trees, all that layering occurs and it creates a very organic sponge, which is why like, when you walk through a forest, it's like you know, some forests are like real spongy. Um, so Hugo culture is the human cultivation of taking logs that are partially broken down or, you know, you can use any logs really, but it's, you know, the best are ones that have been inoculated in the forest already. Logs or organic matter. Yeah, or organic matter. matter, But, but technically, I guess, or who knows, technically means, there's nothing technical. (laughs) Um, but <laughs> hugoculture is burying logs underground and then layering um, whatever else you have. So traditionally, like at the very raw level, burying sticks and putting dirt on top. Yeah. And in a little more complex level, you're burying sticks, like big sticks, then smaller sticks, then straw, then compost, and then you're putting the topsoil back on. So what we're doing on this farm with our resource access and with our... Um, ideas we are so we have the the grace of a mini excavator to dig a two foot trench down 100 foot long two feet deep and over the past few i guess over the past couple months we've been collecting logs from the forest around us so i'm I'm on 100 acres mostly forested and so we take the Kubota and a trailer out and we go around searching for logs and we walk into the forest and we just find these beautiful logs full of like moss, mycelium, mushrooms are growing on them, turkey tails are growing on them. You, you got 
liking going on. They're wet. They're like you, you, you grab it and it's breaking down in your hand. And then some are like really hard and hard as rock. And you're like, whoa. And um, <laughs> it's like, wow, I hope this thing breaks down. <laughs> the fungi will do it. Yeah, oh, yeah. I believe. And it's incredible. You know, in, in um, the style of farming, Korean natural farming, they believe you, you know, that there's a method where you put a box of, more or less, you put a box of rice out in, the, in a forest and it collects the wild yeasts and microbes and then you inoculate that into your compost pile. But what's to say that my compost pile right next to the forest isn't already an IMO aversion? What's to say that the the sticks that have been rained on, piled, layered on, inoculated, competed over, re-inoculated are not like a version of indigenous micro... Like they're all indigenous. IMO means indigenous microorganisms. So it's like everything out in the forest that's there is an indigenous microorganism. So you collect that. You attract it, you bring that into your field, and you're you're playing right into the biology of your location. Which then is fed right into your own biology. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we like to at Groovy Veggie have this concept that the land you you we grow for the land, and so the land grows for us. Mm-hmm. So we like to have as much of a physical interaction with everything we do as we can. So when we plant, we put beans in our mouth. And we let the enzymes from our mouth like help crack the shells and 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 let like our our happy giggly energy like inoculate the the bean with excitement love to grow and then it grows and it's like oh hey i remember you you know plants are sentient so they see us they're like hey you planted me (laughs) (laughs) they were definitely speaking to us this morning when we were going in for that abundant harvest i mean i could feel it and i feel like that's that's really the joy of like just documenting projects like what you two work on is like just trying to communicate with people that when people say like oh there was love that that went into growing that or like that was grown with like a lot of care and attention like that really translates not only on energetic levels but like microbial levels and just like it it there is a direct translation to how it affects us Mm -hmm. And I love to see it. And it actually matters, you know? Right. So. And when you look at our ancestral practices, there's song with planting, there's song with harvesting, there's song with everything that's done. And, and there's a good reason for that. And then we get into the business of farming and the song disappears. <laughs> yeah, and that's why we gotta like, uh, not not not. That's what we're trying to like. Not for us. Like we're really trying to keep keep that alive. Yeah, actually, and like that's that's very important because yeah, we in the U.S. we are navigating a lot of like late stage capitalism, and I don't think, or I think that being in community and and having you know, these visions for how we would like to live and these practices for how we would like to live is really important and just like helping us maintain our dreams and stay connected to our dreams even though we're in a system that can be really frustrating, Mm -hmm. you know? So, so, yeah, thank you for sharing an update to your story and um inspiring people in that way like you guys inspire me and a lot of other people and everyone that you come in contact with so it means the world 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. And yeah, like there's a lot of exciting things on the horizon with the Groovy Veggie Farm. And we hardly even got to mention Christine's practice with her skincare. And there's just a lot of excitement. So I'm just here to let you know, stay tapped in with them and their work. And if people want to connect with or support you, where can they find you and how can they do that? Um, we have Instagram, Groovy Veggie, at Groovy Veggie Farm. Um, and I also, for my skincare line, I also have Embodied Earth Botanicals, is that. We also have a website, groovyveggiefarm.com, and you can always shoot us an email at groovyveggie at gmail.com. And if people are in the area, which farmer's market do you guys go to or plan to go to that they can catch you at? Currently, uh, currently we are at the Bovina Farmer's Market, the Hobart Farmer's Market, the Sanford Farmer's Market, and we are looking to get into a few um, coming soon, hopefully. So, so those yeah. announcements will be online. They'll be online, I'm sure. Okay, thank you guys. Thank you. Thank that's you. it for today, and that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Community Agriculture Project podcast. We are excited to continue bringing you more educational content and more ways to connect with your local resources. So tune in again next time and be well. Peace.